Hi, this is a quick announcement. If you are a fan of the actual plays that have been on Expedition to the Grizzly Peaks, you may not know that we've actually moved them, or at least we've, we'll be doing all new episodes, on a new podcast called Grizzly Peaks Radio. So please go and check it out. There'll be a link in the show notes. Make a move, adventures calling. Forest fires, cougars falling. Take a chance and roll the dice one day. If you're a DM player, find you. Millennials can join this quest too. Expedition, we're gonna find a way. Hi, me again. Welcome to another episode in the now ongoing series of Eldritch Organ. I promised this one and I've been putting it off because it evolved it would involve, has involved, and will involve a lot of work because I'm going to have to listen to a lot of messages from a certain Mr. Timothy Drennan who put together a very elaborate response to Barney and my discussion that kicked off this series on, you know, running improvisational Cthulhu mystery games. The other thing is, which I kind of didn't even make a note of is is that the one year anniversary of this podcast has come and gone and well it has been a year it's been quite a year I have done a very rough totting up and if I include my actual play podcast as well which I'm going to it makes the numbers sound better, even though that's only been going for a month or two. Um, I've bundled them all together and it's got new content on it as well. So, yeah, what can you say? Um, I think of it as one piece. Um, well, I mean, we've had... Whew, it's hard to get an accurate number, but I think we're getting up to somewhere near 170 episodes. Which sounds like a lot. <laughs> I think it is a lot. And... Um, We've nearly nearly hit 20,000 downloads as well, which kind of is a bit mind-blowing for my tiny little brain. Um, the most popular episode to date, single episode, is still um, the racism and gaming episode. Um, inevitably, you know, controversy and clickbait title and all that. That was the one about the Judges Guild from quite a long way back. That's uh, that's getting up to like 350 downloads now, which is also quite staggering. I'm not sure why. Well, I, I do know why. The clickbait title and the controversy and la 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 la. Um, but actually, some of my actual plays, a couple of my actual plays, have, have also been hitting that number, and it's really been interesting because I I kind of wasn't expecting that. I thought the audience for that would be much smaller, but that shows you what I know. Um, the the first episode. Um, of Masks of Nilathotep is is well over 300 downloads and and more recently um, the first episode of King in Yellow is 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 getting up to 350 as well but most gratifyingly and 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 both those numbers come from um, 
having two instances. So in a way, that's sort of cheating because they both had like two releases. So who knows? Maybe there's a lot of bots or automatic downloads that you know doesn't necessarily mean there's that many listens. But but really gratifyingly, a, a relatively recent um, actual play, The Watchers of Warburswick, um, with some great friends from from the Discord audio dungeon discord community and, and plus scott dawood that only went up a few weeks ago and that's that's getting over you know up to 250 um, somewhere near 250 listens already so um i i think that one really hit a nerve we've had a bit of fan mail <laughs> not just for the for the actual play but even for individual characters so someone is loving um spike colin spike pit green's character badger um, from from the Waters of Wolberswick, um, and even though that um, uh, that se- series has has finished, it was um, it was only four episodes. It's a short, you know, it's a white dwarf scenario, so it's short. Um, there's more there's more fun to be had because we carried on playing, and um, they're now uh, in the depths of Surrey, um, investigating cavorting on a hill. Um, check out check that one out. Have a listen for that. It's I think it's even better. Um, and there's maybe more to come. We'll have to see. And the the more to come, maybe we'll have to see, is very dependent on on something that's happened. I'm pretty sure I've got a job. <laughs> I know I've been whispering this for a while, but um, I actually have a contract signed in my hand, or at least I signed it. They haven't signed it yet. So e- e- even so, um, I mean, this is going to be a big change for me, um, mainly because for the last. 10 months, count them, read them and weep the last 10 months that I haven't been working I've been playing games constantly and it's been amazing, it's, it's kept me sane it's kept me happy, It's it's been the biggest burst of creativity I think in my life ever, because a lot of these are, you know, there's a lot of stuff I'm creating for these games and it's fueled my podcasting as well the actual plays and everything that's all going to have to be massively <laughs> curtailed um, you know, obviously starting any new job is going to be intense but um, but it's a pretty intense job period, um, and and also they're based on the east coast of the United States, which means theoretically I'm going to have to start work every day at six a.m. So week night games, no way. I I um, <laughs> that's never that's not going to happen. So they're all gone. Weekday games, of course, are all gone. Um, yeah, I, I'm really thinking hard about how to keep playing with all these wonderful people that I've played with over the last 10 months. I think I can sort of do it, sort of, maybe. It'll be like bi-weekly games and alternating, but yeah. Anyway, enough preamble. Um, let's get straight now into TJ's really incredible set of messages. They, they really are incredible. Um, that man is a creative, a font of creativity. Um, he always surprises me with with what he comes out with and uh this stuff isn't just inventive and creative it's actually there's good stuff in there as well for stimulating our minds okay here we go dearest andrew i received telegram notice of your upcoming seminar and workshop with master barnabas Unfortunately, far too late. Apparently, the Post had lost any sort of letter or paper correspondence inviting me to said workshop. 
for I am sure that such an invitation existed at some point, but is now lost to history. No matter. Work here at the homestead has kept me far too busy to participate in such matters these days. And then there's the ever-present intrusion of the gray-skinned men. In the end, it's really no matter whether it was a trick of the fates that kept my invitation from arriving, or perhaps some social faux pas that caused a lack of invitation in my life. Neither is well understood, and all is forgiven. I can only hope to aid in your conversation this thirst for knowledge you both have about the subjects of mystery and investigative gaming and the improv possibilities thereof by sending you a series of letters. Upon the letterhead of T.J. Drennan. The point the first. It occurs to me, upon listening to this simulated rendition of your conversation with Barnabas, that many decisions made by players actually come down to their trust in the game master to have created something interesting or unique. A puzzle hard to solve is a story hard to write. That most players don't have faith in a game master to do so often leads them to choose the simplest path to overcome any obstacle. Because at the end of the day, the road less traveled is less expected. In a vast majority of cases, the game master expects the players to walk down the most populated way. There's only a limited amount of time in our lives to create these worlds, and it becomes unconsciously obvious to the players the path you want them to take or expect them to take. And this is where improvisational gaming has a leg up. Because if the game is truly improvisational, there are no clues, no metagaming reason to take different paths. Everything must be borne out from decisions made in-game, and sometimes those decisions will have unanticipated consequences. Well, conceit aside, <laughs> you, you did not miss an invite because we didn't invite you. <laughs> because there was no invite. Because there was no intention. <laughs> I'm terribly sorry if you feel hurt by this, Timothy. <laughs> um... Yes, so it's an interesting first point that you make that, and I think I do fall into this trap a lot, and Timothy, of all people, would know this, of signposting the the path too, too heavily, because 
as he said, either if you've created the scenario yourself or you're running it, there is a path and you want them on some level to follow that path. It takes a degree of confidence and I would say courage as well to stray from that path and to let things happen when there is already a path written. And Tim's second point um, is, is that if you are completely improvising in a collaborative way, then that anxiety probably goes away. A different anxiety comes in to replace it, but um, you you cannot signal this. You can't you can't um, steer them in in any direction. You can't steer your players in any direction. I think I would still find a way to do it though. <laughs> uh, I keep going back to this one dumb evening I had playing Everybody Is John, where where really it, it there was literally just nothing no 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 plan at all just start in a back alley behind the ikea in red hook in brooklyn i was playing my new york friend so we all knew new york very well um and and that was it and then just insane stuff ensued from that uh, uh, the question for me is can that ever be as fulfilling as as the payoff you get from from a well structured planned narrative i guess i will find out but thought-provoking stuff timothy thank you part the second it occurs to me in listening over the span of miles and time that your conversation is turning more and more to rules and dice and expectations these old school mentalities, these time-worn traditions of throwing dice for success, vulgar and crass. So many rules, so many rules to inhibit your progress through an actual story or you're communing with the dark ones and the things of the deep. I'm reminded of the young preacher that came to our town early this summer and tried to revitalize the small and broken down church. He spent all his savings purchased tools and lumber, toiled in the sun, but his body was unaccustomed to the humidity of our western clime. So he toiled shirtless, attracting some deal of attention, but his body was also unaccustomed to our western sun. and his pale eastern skin slowly turned to pink and then red until blue streaking veins shone through the surface and the texture of his flesh took on that of a game hen left too long on the fire and he could work no more and he succumbed And Sarah Little, an orphan herself, a young girl of our town, adopted this man in his plight 
took him under her wing and began to nurse his wounds and ease the ills that had befallen him. But that created a bond between the two of them that he did not expect. And in late August, the two of them disappeared along with horses, some deal of supplies, and the last cash the two of them could scrape together into the hills further west. Young love, everyone said. But when Sarah returned to town without him some weeks later, the 6th of September, no one asked questions. My point is, rules, rules, Andy, are for gods. We don't need rules here. We need darkness. Now, what that segment was about, fuck only knows. <laughs> um, I would say one thing, though. TJ, Timothy, um, if you were genuinely spontaneously improvising that you're a genius <laughs> um, and uh, you need an audience you need to have an audience a wider audience than these little anchor podcasts you should seriously think about doing a um, audio drama um, Old Gods of Appalachia the Scottish a Scottish podcast um, you should do it man um, I, I wouldn't be able to do anything like that, so um, it's on you. <laughs> Our rules for gods? I think you're not entirely being serious, but maybe there's something there. I don't think we are constrained by the rules. I think we can be as creative and as imaginative and explore the darkness equally well with rules and with no rules. I guess with rules, at least at the end, we'll know that however we met our ends, it was fair and by the book. Part the third on the naivete of characters. It occurs to me that your comparison of a investigation role-playing game to a horror-themed moving picture is perhaps not a fair one in that in moving pictures all of the heroes are supremely naive and the fun of the movie for people who enjoy those sort of films is usually feeling superior to those on the screen who can't see around the next corner. I agree with old Barnabas that playing a naive character is not always necessary. Although I do enjoy the idea of having some of the characters in the know and others wide-eyed and horrified 
I also enjoy the idea of having a few people who can lead the way. And the idea that it's just as impactful when their knowledge fails them. As it is when the naive character runs bravely and foolishly into danger. It occurs to me that we all have little picadillos that we need to let go of. For Barnabas, perhaps it's the reliance on rules. And for you, Andy, I think it might be the reliance on your knowledge and the naivety of the cast. Perhaps with a little work, we can find my blind spot and all begin to improve ourselves, come closer to becoming one with the things that lie beneath. I think the real revelation here, though, should be the identification of your audience. Because you are working in a realm of strange fictional telecasting. And I'm not clear if your audience is your players or your listeners. You see, in a movie, it's quite simple. The audience is the audience. But if you are expecting your players to put on a show for your listeners, maybe you need to be clear on that. And maybe they should be in on the joke. Okay, this time, TJ, you're getting a little bit too close to my deep, dark, innermost fears, secrets, and, and neuroses. So can you just back off, man? Just back the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, you've nailed me. I, I don't like knowing players. I find that... I actually find that deeply... Not deeply irritating, because that would mean that I find quite a lot of players who've played with me deeply irritating. I don't. I... <sighs> Okay, let's address your first point about the horror movie comparison. And that is not quite right. Of course it isn't. But I also don't think people watch that to enjoy um, enjoy knowing something that the characters don't know. I, I think you watch it to empathise with them and to feel their fear, don't you? At least that's what I get out of it. I, 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 I don't watch it out of some kind of, you know, schadenfreude. In, you know, obviously some horror movies are set up like that, but a lot of them aren't. A lot of them are there to make you feel the fear of being that character, of putting you in their point of view, and their in their place. So I would challenge that, TJ. But you're not here to answer back, so we'll have to leave that there. But, <laughs> but yeah, this idea of having... Having, uh, I think for me, there's this convergence between having a very knowing character and someone that is using 
the system and meta-knowledge to give them the best chance of success. I find that mildly irritating in Dungeons & Dragons and fantasy games, but not not majorly. <laughs> not majorly. Um, but it can be. You know, we're getting into the power gaming kind of min-maxing kind of territory there, which it is what it is. Um, it's a style. It doesn't suit everyone. But I think in Cthulhu and horror games, I think that's where things become problematic for me more so because the thought that that you can go in and, and beat the mythos that that fundamentally i think is at odds with really what cthulhu mythos and hp lovecraft is about now of course paul cthulhu does turn that on its head but as i'm discovering the the ride down maybe much more gradual but eventually you do hit rock bottom even in pulp cthulhu um we're now halfway through the the kenya chapter two of the characters are on a one-way train to permanent insanity and yeah they can delay it a bit but you know once you get down below 30 sanity hmm it's hard man super hard so um and, I, I, and it's not just about the, 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 the inevitable dark ending. It's about, <clears throat> it's about wanting to create this sustained illusion of horror and terror and the unknown. And I, I, don't, think, I don't think you can do that if you're invulnerable <laughs> or, or seemingly invulnerable. And that vulnerability is, a, is such a big part of, of the game for me. It's not, I'm not a sadist. <laughs> I don't want the players to die and 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 get, become gibbering wrecks in a in a mental asylum. I want to have a fun game with them, but I want that fun to be underlined by this constant fear and menace. And maybe that's where it is. Barney and I will discuss more. And then that final part about identifying my audience. I, yeah, that's too big a topic to even address here. Uh, and I think I have talked about it in the past. And I've had other players make comments about this in that it does fundamentally change your perception of the game and your approach and maybe your entire experience of it. At first, I, th I didn't think it did. But... Many people have told me it does, both in my game, uh, my home game, and players that I've played with, and, and Joey from Hindsightless and Wheel of Woe. Um, he talks about that a lot, about how it really changes your experience of playing and running the game. You know, we, we go back to Robin Laws, or is it Kenneth Height? I think it's Robin Laws. That, you know, this is the one art form where you're both the, the actor and the audience simultaneously. So... <sighs> Who am I doing it for? Who are we doing it for? I feel, I feel that mainly in the moment we are doing it for ourselves. We are the audience in situ. And then later, once we enter the world of post-production, as TJ, you know intimately, then we transform it into a product for consumption. Here's the point, TJ. I've recorded many, many, many episodes that have never been touched by an editor and may never be. So they will never be heard by anyone. Does that mean that they are in any way different to those episodes that we recorded that have been edited and heard? Yes, the end product is different, but 
the in-the-moment experience of them, I don't think was. Or maybe it's just the potential that they might be heard by someone. Um, it's the Schrodinger's cat. Once you've looked inside the box, you find out whether the cat is alive or dead. Once you know that someone might hear you, you will change the tone of your voice. Indeed, why would you play a horror game with big scary woods in them without going into the woods? Part the fourth. Who's playing this and why? There's always going to be a necessity for these rules. Barnabas is correct um, in certain groups. The real trick is to curate your groups and get to a point, and I know this is not possible in every single group you play with. Many people want to play in conventions, random games online, what have you. But get to a point in your group where there is no need for the rules. You don't need rules to hold anyone back because everyone is complicit. Don't get me wrong, I'm not downplaying any certain style of gaming or any certain style of player of those games. I'm just saying that the best people, the people you honestly want at your best table, the group that gives you the best product, that creates the best story, that weaves the best tale, is a group completely unfettered by dice. Living the story together in the moment, knowing the part they've signed up to play and playing it to the goddamn hilt until the blood runs down onto your hands, coats them red, and you lose your grasp on the knife. The dirk now loosed from your grasp once provided a handle, but now the body floats away down the creek bed. And that handle is lost among the folds of flabby flesh. Two hundred pounds of evidence slipping wet from your grasp. But maybe that's just the way I tell stories. One piece of your conversation that left me a bit confused was when you talked about your love for the system, but not necessarily the rules. And it left me wondering what was left when you peeled the rules away. Is it just a love for the mythos? Lovecraft himself, the strange beings that he's provided as a framework for your storytelling? Could you not provide your own strange beasts and underworld denizens? Would this not be more ideal in that you creating the creatures, the monsters, and the boogeymen in the dark would necessitate 
that they would always be elusive and unknown to your players, and that metagaming would become nearly impossible. Best group ever. Best game ever. Ideal group. Ideal game. Dangerous territory, TJ. Controversial topics. You trying to get me to say something that I'll regret? Are you? Now, TJ, you are coming from an unfair position, an unfair vantage point. You've dry gulched me. You're standing up there at the top of the canyon, crouching behind a rock now with your rifle, and you see me meandering my way down through the bottom of this gulch on my burro with just a six-gun and my dusty <laughs> my dusty leather jerkin. <laughs> and you can just pick me off at your leisure. You more than anyone else, TJ. You know my groups. You've spent hours and hours and hours editing their utterances, editing our interactions, cutting out all those little bits and snippets and nuances of intent and meaning that were never meant for an audience. Those breakdowns, those errors, the tensions maybe. <laughs> I will not grant you the satisfaction of telling you who and what my ideal group is, Mr. Drennan. I will not grant you that satisfaction. But you are right. There is an ideal group. But it's a chimera. Because no group can ever be your ideal group. No random conjunction of players gathered from the four corners of the world and blown in on the wind to land on your porch can be that ideal group but you make it something something is forged something is created a bond an understanding I think I know in some idealised way what my ideal or my perfect group is what my best group is or my best game is but I don't think it would ever happen in real life, in reality. I take pleasure from everyone I play with. Even you, TJ. Even you. And as for your other comment, what is there apart from rules? Yes, you're right. I perhaps wasn't very clear in my conversation with Barnabas. The rules maketh the game, but the game do not maketh the man. <laughs> Sorry, I'll, just, I'll stop now. I'll stop now because I do have a serious point. Um, yeah, to some extent, the rules do support the, um, I guess, support the genre. I think that's a bit of a horny old cliche that people in the podcasting world have talked about a lot um it is the genre i like it is the mythos it is the worlds that that lovecraft has created 
Um, and that's what I enjoy. I enjoy exploring that world. I enjoy um, the setting. The setting, of course, varies dramatically from 1920s to 1930s to modern day to um, ancient Rome to whatever. I haven't run much outside of the 20th century, but or, or anything, in fact. And I think it would be very interesting to do so. But um, why not make up your own monsters? I have. I have. TJ, they're just not as good. <laughs> I think I'm too silly, you see. I'm not an instinctive horror creator. I, I don't think I am. I, 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 I think I make everything too silly. Point in case. I think the last monster I created was essentially an interdimensional moustache that grew out of Hercule Poirot's face and proceeded to entangle and ensnare the investigators. Now, that may be interesting, but I don't think it's that scary, and I don't think it's very mythosy. So, But that's where I go. That's where I go. Um, yeah. Part 5 The Eldritch Couch. Andy, you're hitting on so many important points here. The true psychological toll of role-playing for you. And that you fear not knowing what's going to happen next. It explains so much why I hear you running games so much, but seldom hear you as a player. Because those kind of fears are the fears that players have to conquer in almost every session. The player doesn't know what's happening next, but you do. Dr. Barnabas mentions Iron Man game mastering and the idea that having only an hour to prepare is somehow difficult problematic, fear-inducing, but I say it is liberating. How much time does a player have to prepare? I myself do spend some time thinking about situations a character might get into and how they would react. But this can hardly be compared to the amount of preparation that I'm sure you've been putting into games, Andy. Free yourself from these constraints and you may find a new level of horror. I won't pretend to be any sort of expert on gaming in general, but I do believe that I am some sort of an expert on you, Andy, as co-conspirator and confidant. Over time, I've puzzled out a few things about your gaming style, and I feel like I have a considerable knowledge of when you're making it up and when you're going from the notes or the book. I have a reasonable idea of when you stray from the path and I don't think you should fear those times nearly as much as you do.
It's more fun to leave footprints than follow them. Brother Barnabas, no harm in mucking around indeed. In fact, it's mandatory. It's a necessity. And Andy, we can't get too hung up on moving a story forward when we don't know what forward is. We don't know where the story is going, so... Why should we ever worry about progressing it? The whole story may take place in this room. Perhaps like Hitchcock's rope. It's all discussion and we never leave. And why should that be a problem? If it turns out, that was the goal in the first place. We will never know until we set out on the path, whether we're crossing the world or a nation or simply dying in this room together. Andrew, it was wonderful catching up with you and give my best to Dr. Barnabas. I have to go now. My presence has been requested by the interim mayor. Some matter of some children playing in a creek bed just downstream of town and stumbling upon something. I'm sure it's nothing, but then again, perhaps my plans to leave town by coach in the spring-fall were not executed quite soon enough. Regardless, my best to you and yours, live in health. Timmons, Jeremiah Drennan. December 8th, 1923. Dictated but not read. Postscript, it occurs to me that when one involves themselves in a hobby that involves equal parts of bad fan fiction and method acting, it's only natural for a blurring of lines to occur between fiction and reality. And there you have it, the final word. That's all we're doing, making bad fan fiction and losing the boundary between fiction and reality. Oh, TJ, you know how to cut to the bone, don't you? Um, <laughs> but you're right. This is, um, this, is, this is not drama. This is not art. This is something else. It's something else equally interesting, but, um, but yes. It's something else, isn't it? Well, look, I think that's enough for today. Um, interestingly enough, um, TJ has actually sent a rule set over to me, which I think he wrote um, in order for us to con contemplate using it for our improvisational games that are coming up soon. Interestingly enough, it's based on dominoes, which he seems to know rather a lot about. I think it's a sign of a misspent youth. What do you reckon? It's a game we're role-playing I'm a stranger and you're making mistakes